Introducing Mortgage Matters. This is a great time to go buy a house. This is when the real estate fortunes are made. A show dedicated to helping you navigate the challenging and ever-changing financial and real estate landscape. Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac were put into conservatorship in 2008 and continued to dominate the mortgage market. Now, your hosts, Dan Podesto and Jason Brody of Central Coast Lending. The fact that you're being called upon to help clean up Wall Street's mess is an outrage. Broadcasting live from the KVEC studios in San Luis Obispo. What economy are you talking about? It's time for Mortgage Matters. Good morning, everybody. It is the last day of March and another live Mortgage Matters show. That's right. It's time to talk about your mortgage, your money, and your dreams, and maybe a little bit of baseball. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Mike Points is joining me today in the KVC studio here as we get adjusted and acclimated to the you know the mics here it's a different mic for a motor show yeah it's got gears on it and right. tires yeah. and ours <laughs> yeah. just has a bunch of paperwork <laughs> and a kvc flag that's right in just your right in the way staring i can't see I you dan see. are you looking at me yeah. dan yeah. <laughs> all right here we go another exciting show we uh Took last week off to Boy, celebrate my birthday. <laughs> um, yeah, happy the birthday! Big, the big four zero wow. on Tuesday. Don't look a day over thirty nine, by the way. His thank you. Thank facial you. Hair is, his uh, facial hair is all white. I'm only now. four days over thirty nine now. <laughs> yeah. Okay, thank you. Well, thank you. <laughs> um, so yeah, that was fun. Took a few friends, including. My co-host here. It was a it was a blast down to Mexico. We went to wow. Puerto Vallarta for a long, fun-filled weekend, and um, of course, we're going to talk a little bit about, about the real estate that we saw down there. It's a must. That's always mm-hmm. interesting. Fits with the theme of the show. Um, but baseball's back, so that's pretty awesome. Hallelujah! And your Giants starting out two and zero against those. Yeah, those, they squeezed uh, out two Dodgers, wins. huh? Yep. Yeah, a couple one nothing victories. Kershaw loss is always a win. <laughs> cool. <laughs> I, I feel like uh, I ran home last night. I had a busy day yesterday uh, because we had to catch up from the week. We weren't here on Monday, and I have a couple family friends that are coming into town today. Plus, I have a couple borrowers that are like, "Okay, we got our taxes done. Mm-hmm. Let's go buy that house." I get home at six thirty yesterday. No, seven. And I, you know, my dogs. Are, been alone all day they want to see me and some attention my wife is like hey honey how's your day i just like walked right to the back because i have a <clears throat> detached garage as you know where i keep all of my sports tvs <laughs> and i fired all those up and she was like are you even going to come say hi to me and i was i was just like i am i just have to turn the tvs on first and <laughs> here's some baseball in the background i've been working since seven it's seven you know <laughs> a long day um, the little things right. that, that appease you as yeah. a sports fan. Yeah. I got really excited on Thursday. Was it Thursday? Thursday was opening Thursday day. Thursday was opening day. Yeah. I got really excited. And, uh, yeah. And the A's are in Oakland, right? A's are in Oakland. Angels. Playing those angels. Yep. One and one right, right now. It's a good time of year. Yeah. It's a lot of fun. Everyone's got hope for their team. Lots of hope. You know, that will get extinguished here for a lot. Of, yeah. A lot of us. <laughs> 
right? As the months go on. As your on. pitching staff gets Tommy John surgery <laughs> right. and all that stuff. We've already racked up two of those. Right. <laughs> we got more of those than wins right, right now. Who's this guy pitching? <laughs> Says he's from St. Louis. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Anyways. So, yeah. We welcome baseball. It's good to be back. Feels like spring, too, you know? That's yeah. going on. It's... Nice well, outside. And with baseball comes softball, right? And the Central sure. Coast Lending men's softball team had a pretty, uh, it was a comeback for the ages, I think, is the best way to describe it. It was a solid win. <laughs> it was good. It was a solid win. Um, not that any of you care, but. No, if you've changed the channel, <laughs> come back. Come back. <laughs> We're going to talk about mortgages, we promise. So, but really, um, you know, I did want to share with our listeners because i think it's good to have perspective um whether it's just other regions of california or other countries in the world um, of what real estate looks like yeah and so i spent a little time uh perusing the flyers in a window of a coldwell banker down in um down in puerto vallarta um this past weekend and saw quite a wide range of prices mm -hmm. down there for housing. Mm -hmm. And I guess first, for those of you who haven't ever been there, um, it might be helpful to kind of describe. I think the backdrop's important. It's yeah. a very, very tourist popular area. I mean, the tourist attraction is high. Yeah. A lot of, I mean, tourism is probably the, gotta it's gotta be, be the driving totally. force in that local economy beautiful There's also some beautiful business, coastline though. yeah i know um constellation brands has a big um factory there and so they make you know corona and i mm. mean they own tons of beverages a lot they own a few of the wineries here in fact it's inside the state of jalisco so popular agave products right lots galore. of tequila manufacturing yep. a lot it's like kind of like the wine and beer industry Correct. here where there's a lot of craft Yep. <clears throat> and boutique um, soap. tequila. Agave soap. <laughs> right. and agave yeah, everything. Crazy. So there is other things going on. It's got a, a diverse economy, but I'm sure that it's dominated by the uh, tourism industry, mm -hmm. as the Central Coast is quite Correct. a bit too. Um, you know, the the topography, it's kind of like this. It's, it's hilly, um, mm -hmm. descending down to the water, um, beautiful bay, a lot of view properties. Yep, um, a lot of view just, properties. I mean, it's amazingly picturesque looking out over that big bay. A um, lot of beautiful weather, obviously, clear skies. I mean, that's what we enjoyed. That's what it is yeah. about 11 months out of the year, I think. So the value is high in the sense of, you know, the perception of where you're living, where you're spending Quality your time. Quality of life. Where you're vacationing. yeah. Um, and maybe where people would pay for your vacation <laughs> rental too, you know? So we were actually down in that southern end of Puerto Vallarta where it actually gets a little hillier the further south you go and a little more jungly as well. Mm. And so what you'll see in that more southern end is um, more of the estate properties or even some uh, condo complexes that are kind of stacked um, on the hill. Yeah, they would take a large piece of property and turn it into six to eight units, mm -hmm. but each of those units is sizable, and we're yeah. not talking like an apartment size condo. Yeah, they're two, three, four bedrooms or right. larger. I mean, we saw floors. Some, we saw some ha houses that I mean, they had to be six to eight stories tall. Yeah, I mean, we saw a guy hammer all day long on this thing. <laughs> <laughs> would, the guy was hammering from eight Literally to eight. The same spot. Poor guy. <laughs> um, anyway, 
Big. So what I saw <laughs> was for some of the oh, and so then as you go more north, it gets a little flatter, um, and that's where more of the the industry is, I guess, in the city, and there's more of a of a neighborhood type of town um, there. There's the old town that's in the south, and then the newer part of town in the north, um, and so those maybe aren't quite as as big on the view, um, you know, from the properties, but definitely more centrally located to the amenities, the food, the shopping, that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and so what I saw was those properties that were larger with hill with, with uh, the amazing views on the hillside, they ranged anywhere from a million to the high, the, the most expensive one I saw in the window is like three and a quarter million. Mm-hmm. Um, these are all us dollars. Sure. Um, and so some, but I mean, Price per square foot was a lot lower because these were like huge five to ten thousand square foot properties. Right. So they were they were quite large. Um, and the, I mean the views. I, I'm trying to think. I mean, there's views like that here, but it was like every house there had an unobstructed, amazing view of the land. The <laughs> architectural um, intelligence and ability to build on the topography they have there is is remarkable and because of the topography you have this stacked like housing stacked and stepped back and stepped back it's like the the layer cake or whatever yeah. the wedding cake type of thing yeah so every and they 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 know that their view is amazing right they yeah. built the house for that all yeah. the windows face the bay obviously but i think the 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 number one thing that stood out to me was that these houses were um it almost like they were made for holiday, you know, <laughs> so you got three floors, one floor is like a pool floor, maybe a bedroom, but there's, yeah. it's a lot of, it's, it's a different way of life. And the, the houses reflect that style of living very well. We also noticed that it was a lot of, um, masonry construction. It was all, a lot of concrete and rebar. Yep. Um, didn't see a lot of, I mean, they, they were using wood to frame up, the the forms for the concrete you know and we we were watching some guys on the sixth floor of a what looked to be like a apartment or condominium complex mm-hmm. in town and they were you know they were forming up uh wood for for the concrete walls and then the next day they'd have them down and then they'd form them up again mm-hmm. and you know so we saw that over and over we didn't see any wood construction that i can remember i have been in puerto vallarta when like literally the power of God strikes down in a storm <laughs> and the rain is un, unfathomable. I mean, you can't explain it within seconds. There's like six to eight inches of water on the ground because it's raining so hard, you know? So I think a lot of that structural engineering has to do with the weather that they do get when it's not 85 and mm-hmm. you know, people are out there holidaying. Um, but I, I do think it also adds to the charm because th- so many of those stucco buildings have kind of a simple yet stated look, you know? It's not like you have like a cottage home and then you have like a <clears throat> like a windows home like you'd find in LA. It's just, they're all kind of the same in the sense of their their structural um, nature, but they're very, they're all so unique in, in a way as well. And without getting out my level and square and things to really check out the, oh, the yeah. construction, it kind of, to me, looked like things weren't totally perfectly squared as they were doing things. It's kind of like when you go to, 
you know, you want to buy some nice plates or, you know, something and you're looking for those imperfections. It's like, oh, yeah, this is handmade. You can tell because it's right. not perfect. Right. That kinda, that's kind of that's kind of how I felt the, the approach to the home building was a little bit. Yeah. The houses in America are not handmade. <laughs> right. They seem like they're just plopped on <laughs> a, you know, they pull them right off a f- assembly line yeah. factory. They're all the same. Right. This uh, Every house seemed to be a little more unique in its uh, construction. So then on the other end of the spectrum of price, um, I saw some places that were more modest in size. Um, one that really stood out to me was a, it was a single family home in town, um, in that old town of Puerto Vallarta, 17, a little over 1700 square feet. And it was listed for 200,000 us dollars. Mm. So again, price per square foot is quite a bit lower than what we experience here sure that would put it just over a hundred bucks a square foot um what was the inventory population like do you remember i don't see a lot i did not I see a lot notice, of for sale signs i didn't notice signs i don't know if that's a how thing it's there. done there yeah. um you know in the window of that of that real estate office there was a lot of properties for a town i mean what would you estimate the population of Oh gosh, I have no idea. It was so crowded when we were there. It's hard to say. I mean, it doesn't seem like it's a big town, but you know, when I think about the whole of Puerto Vallarta, the north and the south, I mean, it does go pretty far. It yeah. I mean, it's tough I don't to know. say. It's really hard to say about inventory. Yeah, but it's it seems like you know it's definitely catering towards that American tourist. Well, there's all types of tourists there. I mean, yeah, the north true. Of, that that is a very popular destination, and where it falls in North America is, you know, pretty nice. I mean, it, the the climate was great, just great. So, um, yeah, that was our trip. That's why we weren't here last weekend, listeners. We're, doing we're really sorry. Yeah. We got this report for you now, <laughs> very thorough report. Um, and I think I think it was, you know. Perfectly timed, right? Because now we're going to come back and it's going to be home purchasing season. We're going to get an an, an influx or, you know, uh, inflow of applications to people that are just ready. You know, they're listing their house. They're ready. They're ready to buy the next house. They're ready to buy their first house. Yeah. And you'll see it's priced at, you know, three, four, five hundred bucks a square foot. And you'll think, gosh, why aren't I living in Mexico? I'm just going to move to Puerto Vallarta. <laughs> right. I'll just use my laptop. I'll check in at work. hundred bucks a square foot with views <laughs> and 80 degree weather year round. It sounds amazing. Yeah. It I have amazing. to learn Spanish. You will have to learn Spanish. And it's also quite amazing when you put it into perspective of like the cost of food and things like that. Oh, it was ridiculous. I mean, we were having meals for six people for like, I don't know, 20 bucks. bucks. Oh, well, well yeah, I think taco just, meals. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> there's nothing wrong with taco meals. No, there's nothing wrong with taco meals. I mean, those were good. Except for the parasites. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, that's our uh, that's our report from... That's where we were. Our real estate report from Puerto Vallarta. Um, time to take a quick commercial break, and we'll re- be back with more Mortgage Matters. Mortgage Matters with host Dan and Jason will be right back. Join the conversation by calling 543-8830 or 800-549-5832. For those of us who live here on the Central Coast, we know this is a unique place to have a home. And for over 30 years, Patterson Realty has been a vital part of San Luis Obispo County. Patterson professionals have led the way in real estate by adapting to new market conditions to make sales happen. What they offer is the quality of their people, agents working just for you. 
Get the experts at Patterson Realty on your side. Experience the Patterson difference. Call 544-8662 or online at pattersonrealty.com. Through seven presidential administrations, bull and bear markets, and unprecedented change, Blakesley and Blakesley has been here helping residents of the Central Coast reach their financial goals. So if you need retirement advice beyond Social Security, want to roll over an old 401k, or simply seek guidance through an important financial decision, visit Blakesley and Blakesley in San Luis Obispo, Paso Robles, and Santa Maria. Blakesley and Blakesley, for the service you deserve and the advice you trust. Member FINRA and SIPC. With trade wars escalating, the market is seeing some serious volatility. Are you nervous? With banks not paying anything on their CDs, where can you put short-term funds for decent growth? Look no further than Century Financial Consultants. We have a new five-year guarantee product paying 3.6%. This product is tax-deferred unlike a traditional CD, and your rates won't change like an indexed annuity. You're guaranteed. Contact Matt at Century Financial Consultants today at 805-324-7914. That's 324-7914. Hi, this is Jason Grody of Central Coast Linux. The most critical part of buying a home is getting pre-approved for a mortgage. Pre-approved buyers are taken more seriously, enjoy a less stressful transaction, and close faster with no last-minute surprises. Before you meet with a realtor, step one is to get pre-approved. Just call 543 Central Coast Lending is an equal housing lender. California BRA number 018-39608. DBO number 6054783. MLS number 328358. We're the mortgage experts on the Central Coast. Central Coast Lending. You're listening to Mortgage Matters on KVEC News Talk 920. If you missed any part of the show, log on to centralcoastlending.com for archived shows and more. Now, back to your hosts, Dan and Jason from Central Coast Lending. Here we go, getting nostalgic. We're back, back from holiday, back, back in from the saddle. Mexico. Back from Mexico. The only thing I brought back with me is my tan. <laughs> no, I didn't. We brought back a couple things for the kids. Okay, a couple little trinkets. I got some stuff for my wife too. Good. Just want to let everyone know that I'm tan. <laughs> Doesn't really come through the microphone well. <laughs> right. You sound so tan. <laughs> um, all right. Holy we're, smokes. We're gonna it's almost 9.30. Um, yeah, so we got through the fun part. Now it's time for to get down to business. Mm-hmm. Um, I do want to remind our listeners that we are here live and willing and would love to take your calls. So if you'd like to call us live in the studio, you can reach us at 543 Five four three eight eight three zero. So since we were gone last week, there's actually a couple of weeks of um, news and events that that we haven't reported on. Um, so I think one of the big things that happened was actually about a week and a half ago. It was the Fed meeting, highly anticipated March Fed meeting. Um, it's one of the four meetings per year that is followed by a press conference 
where the Fed gets to get in front of a bunch of reporters and get grilled on why they did the things they did. And so it's usually at those meetings where there's a press conference that follows where they take more significant action. Mm -hmm. And so it was highly anticipated that they would raise rates a quarter point. And as expected, that's what they did. Um, So we saw that quarter point increase. We saw zero movement in bonds, mortgage-backed securities, anything that might be affected by that decision because it was... It was a lock, you know, ev- the trade, it had already been priced into the market, mm-hmm. um, had been for a while. So uh, the market knew it, um, and didn't unannounced and un- unplanned at the same time concurrently was this beginning of the trade war that took off though, you know, so it seems like at the same time, Powell was mentioning interest rate hikes that were inevitable based on their data that the market reacted, you know, in a inverse way. And I mean, we, in the last seven, eight trading days, we've seen a huge drop in the Dow. And we've also seen the, um, U S treasury 10 year bond go to back down below 2.8, which is if you pull up our show from the end of last year is that range that we said it would probably stay in between 2.4 and 2.8. So it tested the top, it tested three for sure. It's mm-hmm. a couple of times I, found myself standing in front of the television saying, oh my gosh, the thing's going to go to three. Mm-hmm. But it's back down, and there's reasons for that. But what you need to know is concurrently with this Fed rate that, like Dan said, was just you know a lock, this all happened. So um, the reaction is not necessarily tied to what the Fed's saying. I mean, a small fraction of it probably is. But really it's this scare of what happens if we China or Germany or some of our other trade partners with this new steel and aluminum tariff that became the talk of the town in the month of March. Right. And there's another tariff being planned, I believe, if not already announced, um, that's going to be directed towards China. Mm. Um, so there, there's definitely a lot of eyes on on that issue and how it may or may not affect GDP going forward. Mm -hmm. Um, The media is very engaged with how China responds to this. And I think right now it's, it's always been China's MO to not like get up and throw, flip the table over because the other person has better cards. You know, they like to sit back and strategize. So it's, it's going to be a three to six month ripple Sure. I don't know what the, what that means for the market, but I do think that everyone's going to be a bit more cautious with how they place their their trades. And what I like, I'm seeing is that when we change over, um, when we change over our bond tradings at the end of April, when we open up the auction for bonds, it'll be interesting to see what those are selling for and what comes out of that. As many times, Dan, we've seen the impact of the the bond auction lead right up to what our 10-year treasury notes doing the following week and then as you know we we do we do correlate in some way or nature to the 10-year treasury bond when we price our mortgage backed securities it's not a one to one relationship but it's a big part of where that 30-year fix sits on a Fannie Mae note yeah it's a good indicator um in the fed's statement they talked about their forecast for rates going forward and so um you know they're still on track to having two more rate increases this year. 
So we've had the one here in March and two more to go. So the expectation was three. They've they've maintained that um, expectation for us. Mm-hmm. They did, however, raise their next year guidance by a quarter of a point. So they're believing that next year they'll they'll raise at a little bit of a faster pace. Um, also, they made some mention of GDP, which they actually upgraded. Um, they upgraded. GDP projections for this year by two tenths to two point seven percent. So that's that's good if that's you know if based on what they're seeing as far as economic activity um, that they're seeing a little bit of growth. You know, obviously we want to mm-hmm. get to that three percent and above target. That's ideal for us. Mm-hmm. Um, but again, this is where any potential trade war may impact that, and that if Certainly. If we do see effects on GDP, they may back off on some of those projected rate hikes, most likely for next year. I think this year we're set up pretty well to do the the two more rate hikes. I I believe that's going to happen. That's what we did last year. I believe we did three. Yeah, we did three. Um, so anyways, they talked about four at yeah. the beginning of the year. They thought they would just happen quarterly. Boom, 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 boom. Yeah. But a significant, like you just said eloquently, significant portion of our GDP formula is import-export exchange. So we'll see how that goes. That's something definitely to keep an eye on. Um, you know, what is what's can, hyped up t- to be isn't always necessarily how the plan unfolds. Sometimes, with this administration. It's just, sometimes it's just to make a news cycle happen. Right, yeah, you know? it seems that way. Um, last comment on the Fed meeting um, – you know, over and over, they use the word moderate um, as far as growth or jobs or, you know, um, household spending. Every, you know, moderation was the word du jour. Um, <laughs> so that just kind of lets you know where what they're seeing, what their um, rationale is as they make decisions going forward. Yep. Yep. So that was that was big news for last week. Um, let's see here. Flipping pages. We had, uh, I was just going to add to, I think the consumer confidence level is just kind of teetering as well. That that came in down from, um, last week, uh, excuse me, in March, it declined, not, not a huge decline, but another decline. And I think what's happening now is that there's enough, there's enough active. Sometimes people will just, you know, we get in these little quick trends. Think of it like almost like a basketball team. They hit a winning streak and then they just go back to playing like a normal basketball team. I mean, the American economy opened up this year doing quite well, you know, quite well, um, especially with leading into the, the Christmas weeks with how the Dow performed. I think it's, we're all coming back to normal now. You know, there was this pie in the sky that the Dow was going to go to 30,000 or something. Mm-hmm. So that that just all plays a factor into this. I like that description. The streaky basketball team. <laughs> That's March Madness. The winning streak and then go back to playing like a normal team. Yeah, it's, I, I see that too. I feel like the stock market's that way. Consumer confidence numbers are that way. They you start this, burning a bit hot, right? Yeah, they and had this big like, bump, uh, and now they're kind of just kind of now found a little comfortable range to hang out in. Yep. Um so, yeah, there were a couple of other numbers last week, housing related, that are probably worth a mention here. Um, always fun. Things that people always care about are the 
home prices. Um, home prices year over year change. Oh, this is the FHFA house price index, which um, this number is the one that's derived from transactions involving conventional mortgages secured by Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac. Um, so what they do is they get the appraisal data uploaded um, to them in any mortgage transaction that involves an appraisal. So that could be purchase or refi. So they have a lot more data than some of the realtor um, indices, which are just purchase driven. Mm-hmm. Um, so this one showed a year over year appreciation of 7.3%, um, which is actually up quite a bit from some more recent readings that were in the six per, mid 6% range. Mm-hmm. Kind of a surprise number there. Um, which is a big jump percentage wise, right? Yeah, it was six tenths up. Um, and, you know, obviously we're still well above what's considered a normal range. But it's odd because it seems like we have been, the appreciation has been easing its way down towards the normal range. And here we have a six tenths jump the other way. Mm-hmm. Kind of a kind of a surprise. That's a national average, right, Dan? It is. Yeah. yeah. So then it breaks down into, um, you know, some of the, the regions. It breaks it up into four regions. The mountain mountain region was up ten percent year over year. Pacific region was up nine point four percent. I guess they do it in five regions here. Okay. Um, Longitude, and I think you know the mountain region is interesting too. I, anyways, that's a whole other story for another day. The <laughs> Wyoming migration, right? People moving to Wyoming, Montana. Getting out of these coastal states. Getting out of the high-cost, high-tax states. Yep. Um, so, yeah, the price is a little, a little surprising there. Um, what else did we see? The Case Shiller? Yeah, there's Case Shiller's was um, also at a three-and-a-half-year high, like the FHFA. So the S&P CoreLogic Case Shiller Home Price Index Um was at the top end of estimates. It was up 6.4% year over year. So that's kind of, that. that's a different number there. And that one, I believe, focuses more just on purchases. So, yeah, I've done, it's, I've, I grew up in the Bay Area. I still have friends in the Bay Area. I probably do one to two transactions a quarter in the Bay Area. And the appreciation there is just amazing. It's amazing. It's like almost gross. And on the peninsula, the west side of the Bay Area, as you get from between San Jose and San Francisco, it's it's outrageous. I mean, I have a friend that we we did their purchase last year in February. The house was seven seventy when we bought it, and we did a review this year to see what they want to do because um, they only put ten percent down. Now the house is worth like eight eighty. It's gone up one hundred ten thousand dollars. Uh, we got an appraisal, so we're getting into the the nitty gritty of what we want to do now for them, but. I mean, that's purely, that's in a refi appraisal. We don't even have a purchase agreement sitting there saying it's worth this much because of market activity and multiple counteroffers. It's just mm-hmm. going up. And that's a big number. I mean, that's probably like 15% growth appreciation. Yeah. We've done, you know, with your connections to the Bay Area, I have a lot of family in Northern California as well. We've done a number of transactions in the Bay Area. And in talking to the realtors up there, they still describe that market as highly competitive um, and needing to have 
full pre-approval, all your ducks in a row, be ready to make a fast offer, a competitive offer. Remove contingencies. Remove contingencies. You know, they, they're looking to remove contingencies at the prior, offer. prior to this, the, the normal 17-day yeah. um, timeline. You know, everything there is very aggressive in that buying process. Yep. So it's it's a it's a very, I mean, it's it's a competitive market. Yep. Much more so than than here. One thing I I do like that they do up there is they do um, multiple or at least two earnest money deposits. So mm-hmm. you you make a li- a nice sizable first deposit if you've made a purchase recently. An earnest money deposit is after you're in escrow and the seller is accepted your transaction within the first three days after acceptance, you go down and you make a good faith deposit. We're not just kicking tires here. I'm going to put 10, 15,000. It's one to 3%. 3% is the maximum. Uh, You put that down and that's, that's money you put in place for, um, you know, good faith that as you go through the transaction, if you remove all of your contingencies and you still don't close, the seller is going to take that money from you. Through arbitration, obviously, the contract states they have to work it out. But rightfully, if you remove contingencies, you're saying, I'm all in. And this deposit, if I don't close, should go to the seller for a waste of time and product off the market, et cetera. Right when they remove all of their contingencies, they make another big deposit up in the bay area. It's almost like a, it's almost like the way they do business. Mm-hmm. And what that does is it lets the seller know now they're completely all the way done. Because as a seller, I'm going to get paid. And most likely, if it's an investment property, I'm going to replace with a 1031. So I need to identify some type of property. Or I'm getting this money and literally moving it from one escrow account to my new purchase escrow account mm-hmm. so that I can close on the house I want to move up or replace with. So mm-hmm. I think it's a nice way of doing business because it shows confidence one of the things I don't like about the way we do business here on the Central Coast is sometimes agents don't even ask to remove contingencies. It's like, oh, well, just it, it seems like everything's going well. You know, we're over here as the banker trying to make everything happen. I'd like to, I'd like to know that the seller knows we're ready to go. Sometimes like, we get to the end of the transaction and they haven't even talked about it. It's a little bit different because of the market. Sure. It's, it's pushier up in the bay. <laughs> Very much. <laughs> yeah. It's hard to find affordable housing, too. Oh, yeah. Um, we've done a couple loans in the Richmond area. I did two, actually. One for my cousin and one for a friend of theirs in that area. I don't know. Surprisingly affordable. Um, a single family home, older single family homes for the 400000 range. Oh, good. I was like, wow, that's great for you guys. Get your foot in the door. Yeah. Yep. Um, seems like only a matter of time before all the areas become unaffordable up there. So many people, so competitive, you know, they've what got is affordable, somewhere. right? That's what I hear all the time. Yeah. What is affordable? Um, so we saw last week there was a existing homes sales number, um, that came out for, this is for February and we saw existing home sales nationally rose, Three percent month over month, one point one percent year over year. Um, when that's going to take into account all types of homes. When you look at just the single family homes, um, you saw a one point eight percent year over year increase in that number for existing home sales. Condos were actually down a little bit. Um, so that's you know we always want to see more there with the with all this demand that we're talking about whether it's around here or the bay area or wherever it's nice to see that there's there's more transactions occurring um 
we're seeing that just through the application d- data that we're that we're seeing locally and nationally. Mm-hmm. That, you know, there's a lot of people out there still wanting to buy, and it seems like there are more homes coming to market, which is helping enable these transactions to occur. There are, yeah. <clears throat> um, We've also seen a lot more of the new construction activity. So people are people that have held land for a period of time are letting go of that land, probably because it's at a good strike price now. But um, but also because of the inventory shortage, it, it makes sense. If you're a seller and you own land, it makes sense to, to take a dabble and get that on the market, see what you could sell it for, because there are products now where we as bankers can offer the buyer opportunity to not only buy the land, but build the house to its completion sure, all with one loan. And it, it, it's like, it's like an infill project, really. It's a one unit infill project. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. You're describing that infill in an existing neighborhood. There's a lot that hasn't been built out. Um, Mm -hmm. we can absolutely help with, you know, whether you own that lot outright and just want to begin that construction process, or if you want to acquire the lot and build, um, we have both one-time closed construction options and, um, and more your more traditional construction where it's a two-time close process. And so some of it depends on the the cost to build on which product you'll get slotted for. Um, but otherwise it's, you know, it depends on down payment, different things. Yeah. Completed one yesterday in Woodland Hills. That's why I brought it up. It's on my oh. mind. An approval for a one-time close FHA loan. Very cool. Um, let's see. So speaking of new construction, we did have new home sales also come out. That was a February number up a half a percent year over year uh, for new home sales, annualized rate of 618,000 units. So, you know, that that's always the number that gets us down a little bit because we know that just to keep up with growth that we need more, you know, more like a million or more units, some, some people estimate that we need more like million two million and a half units right here we are at 618,000 annualized so yeah and i you know is what it is i guess it is but there's a lot of positive activity happening on the horizon you know rigetti ranch is now developing the road right there at tank farm and orcut just past the marigold um shopping center where broad meets tank farm so williams homes is coming in there williams homes is a santa clarita based builder but has a lot of ties up here they're part of our home builders association they're making the efforts to be local they have a local office they're building quite a few homes 199 homes at this point they're doing all the road work because that's the way the city makes it happen and um really quickly dan i also want to mention um robbins reed here in town is a local builder has Noven noveno homes which is live at noveno.com these are modern homes they're going to build right here in san luis obispo where are those ones? Um, those ones are located um, near the ninth peak in the chain of nine sisters is what it says. Oh. I'm missing where that exactly is, but near the ninth peak in chain of nine sisters. So it's in San Luis Obispo. I'm thinking, I don't know, but live at noveno.com. Um, is it, it's, it's where you can join the, the interest list and see where the place is. Farthest east end there. Probably. Yeah. Because if Moro Rock's number one in the chain... Right. Goes. Goes the other way. Goes inland. Must be, yeah, must be in the same. I doubt they're building out at Morro Rock. That can't be number nine. No, but these San Luis homes are starting in the mid 600s. 
Hmm. So they're accepting in, accepting reservations in spring of 2018. That's now. And then um, San Luis Ranch as well was an interesting population of homes where they're going to hybrid-esque. You're going to have open landscape territories, also work-life housing. San That's Luis Ranch is the... The Lidio area. Okay. So between Los Osos Valley Road exit and Madonna on 101, if you're yeah. looking what would be almost like northwest right now i think it's like a broccoli farm that's been there for years mm-hmm. but but um that's a nice that's going to be a nice living area where workforce housing can move in with there's going to be an ag learning center so kids can learn about you know how to grow vegetables things of that nature it's going to be different and those homes i don't have prices on but if you wanted to check out that you could go to sanluisranch.com so we're just trying to be your helpful neighborhood lender that knows about new properties coming up how to finance old properties, how to buy land. and We call them existing properties. Existing They're properties. Not old. Existing properties. <laughs> and then, uh, you know, the idea of purchasing a lot or, or raw land to build your house on it and make it your own. So we have the gamut of products to talk about with you that face to face. It's time for another commercial break. Got to take a little time for the sponsors here. Um, we do have a new sponsor. Um, Century Financial. Century Financial. You might have met him lately. He's been doing some seminars here in the Central Coast, and we've had him on the radio in January. Matt Hollander. That's right. And Jeff Hollander is is, um, father and son. And also Ryan Perrin is their local uh, representative who has an office right here on Broad Street in San Luis Obispo. Cool. All right. Well, we're going to take a quick commercial break, and we'll be back with more Mortgage Matters. Mortgage Matters with host Dan and Jason will be right back. Join the conversation by calling 543-8830 or 800-549-5832. For those of us who live here on the Central Coast, we know this is a unique place to have a home. And for over 30 years, Patterson Realty has been a vital part of San Luis Obispo County. Patterson professionals have led the way in real estate by adapting to new market conditions to make sales happen. What they offer is the quality of their people, agents working just for you. Get the experts at Patterson Realty on your side. Experience the Patterson difference. Call 544-8662 or online at pattersonrealty.com. Do you have enough money saved for retirement? How much is enough? Let's put things in perspective. It's estimated that you'll need roughly $250,000 in retirement just for medical expenses. So think about that number again. If you need some help, talk to Century Financial Consultants today and create a complimentary financial master plan that will show you exactly how long your money will last and give you peace of mind. Give Century Financial Consultants a call today at 324-7914. That's 324-7914. Through seven presidential administrations, bull and bear markets, and unprecedented change, Blakesley & Blakesley has been here helping residents of the Central Coast reach their financial goals. So if you need retirement advice beyond Social Security, want to roll over an old 401k, or simply seek guidance through an important financial decision, visit Blakesley & Blakesley in San Luis Obispo, Paso Robles, and Santa Maria. Blakesley & Blakesley, for the service you deserve and the advice you trust. Member FINRA and SIPC. Hi, this is Jason Grody of Central Coast Lending. Too often, potential home buyers disqualify themselves believing they need perfect credit. The fact is, we can finance home buyers with low credit scores, collections, bankruptcy, foreclosure, or short sale. Before you meet with a realtor, step one is to get pre approved. Just call 543 Central Coast Lending is an equal housing lender. California BRA number 018 DBO number 6054783. MLS number 328 358. Where the mortgage experts 
Central Coast. Central Coast Lending. Welcome back. You're listening to Mortgage Matters with host Dan and Jason from Central Coast Lending. If you want to join the conversation, call the show at 543-8830 or 800-549-5832. Now, here's Dan and Jason. suggested it right before the last break or right during the last break yeah so i'll take you back to my high school days in sacramento i think i was about 16 years old and cake was just gaining popularity with their first album and they played this awesome free concert in a park in downtown sacramento that i went to with a few friends you remember the park it's was right, it McKinley, uh, it's where the right library on, was. It's on Jay's. It was right. It was like down there where the farmers market is, where they do the ice skating rink. Okay, at the winter, you know, in the winter time. Sure. Um, I don't know the name of that part. I don't know. I'm sure my mom will text it to me here in like two seconds. Yeah, she's probably listening. But anyway, <laughs> um, it was it was really cool to go see them just doing a live show, uh-huh. and then they became this huge band, and uh, it was cool. Cool. So, anyways, yeah, Sacramento band, I'd right say there. Say that you know you made it possible for a cake to. I don't know that I made it possible, but um, I was I'll, definitely I a fan from the beginning. I also don't think you made it possible, but I do think that <laughs> I do own all their albums, so you know. Yeah. There you go. Contributing. I mentioned, <laughs> I mentioned Cake in Mexico because it's like we just don't listen to them anymore. They were really popular. Another band I I listen to Beck all the time, but. Mm. I, I was, it was a conversation well, I, I had with your him anymore. It was a conversation I had with your wife. Oh <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> she doesn't listen to either of them, so no, that's okay. It's not her genre. Nope. Um, we right. left off talking about we're talking the the economic numbers of the last two weeks. Um, so I think we covered the two weeks ago the big the big ticket items, and last week this just this past week here we had some other. Um, numbers. I already, we already mentioned the Case Shiller home price number at six point four percent. You mentioned consumer confidence. We had GDP. We had a fourth quarter GDP reading. I believe this is the final reading for the fourth quarter, um, and it came in just a little bit higher. Uh, it was revised four tenths higher in the third and what I believe is the final estimate to a two point nine percent annualized rate. So that's good. That's a good way to finish out last year. Strong GDP, getting real close to that 3% target. Um, and again, we had already heard the Fed's expectations for next year was a revised higher, um, possibly as a result of, of this reading. So 
Yes. We're I'm moving tr- on up. I didn't I can't locate what the PMI reading <clears throat> was, but it's it was down quite a bit, which is the purchase managers index, but and for some reason, I'm just not getting the. My computer is not finding it for me. Um, <clears throat> I will. But we can add that in later. Yeah, we'll I will sprinkle sh- that in. Share with you the final house um, or home index, which is the pending home sales, and that's the the reading that looks at homes that have gone into contract but not yet closed. So it's a leading indicator of housing activity going forward, probably about sixty days. Um, and so what we saw there was existing home sales uh, were up 3.1% for February. That's a month-over-month reading, but it followed a 5% decline in January. So really, it's just making up some lost ground from the month prior. Um, so really, we've, just, we've been kind of struggling. And I think that, that speaks to the inventory issue that um, we've harped on for years now on end. That lack of inventory is just it's it's kind of leading to a little stagnation here in the the how <coughs> excuse me the housing transactions yeah just we we've got all kinds of interested buyers ready pre approved ready to go um, capable you know well qualified and just can't find the house my my opinion <laughs> is that um, we're close enough now that the curtain's going to be rising on these new construction dwellings and that people are going to hold out to get those. That's my opinion. What's nice is that creates a little bit of a vacuum when they leave their house and just get a little bit of extra activity. We've got someone going to a new, it's like adding an extra, um, um, it's just adding more to the population. I was trying to think of a game that uh, almost like a Rubik's cube where you would, you ever taken one of the squares out you know, it's kind of like cheating, but you when you have a Rubik's Cube and you turn it all the way around and you can't figure it out, but if you take out one of the squares, you can turn it so that you get it exactly right and you put the square back in. It's cheating is what it is. But <laughs> That's how I do it. <laughs> yeah, but, but, but it gets easier. You see it so clear because now there's this one, this one little issue, which for us is inventory, starts becoming less of an issue. And if people move from their existing home, not their old home, and they buy a new house, then we offer them a, a house that's maybe built in the 60s, 70s that needs a little bit of work but been lived in by a family at a price that's less than 600000 in a neighborhood they can live in. That's not an opportunity they would have had before that family moved to the new home. And I think that gives us a breath of fresh air. And I think that happens in quarter three and quarter four of this year because of the way that these phases of construction work. They usually sit down with you and say, hey, check it out. This is the model, right? This is what your house is going to look like. Sign this paperwork so we can get your earnest money deposit, and now we can start building the property just for you, and you want to make some customizations? You can do that. We'll be done in October, Mm -hmm. and so that family is excited for six months, and in about Late July, August, they list that property that they currently live in, right? And they're waiting for the October home to be done. I might buy their house, and in that situation, it's a house opportunity I wouldn't normally have had, and they move out, I move in. It's very. I think that's why we're not seeing as much activity locally here in San Luis Obispo proper. Because mm-hmm. of that lack of the new construction. Yeah. Correct. But I think, now I think the new construction, I mean, it's everywhere. It's in every magazine. Right. It's on the Tribune. Um, it's, it's in conversations I'm having. 
is that, hey, the, this, these projects are about to start rolling out. Yeah, it takes a long time for these projects to go through the various approval boards and things. I mean, I mean, we've been talking about Delidio Ranch for years. True. And, and getting it to that place where it can actually become a developable piece of property, it's, it takes years. And then, you know, there, there's just a lot of work that goes into it. The Rigetti Ranch project started in 1998. They started, they got a headwind of, they got a, uh, they got full of steam, ready to go. And then the middle of 2015, 2006, excuse me, two, 05, 06, 07 happened. Right. You know, these, these builders out. have amazing economists that like forecast what's going on. That gave them, you know, a little bit of scare. So thankfully they waited off. There's a bunch of stories I don't know, but that project has been started since 1998. Then, you get through this mortgage crash, you get back through, now you got to go back to the city, right? Cause you've waited on your permits and architectural design approval for so long. You got to go through that again. Then right before they broke ground, a bald Eagle <laughs> had a nest right. near them, which I'm not saying is a bad thing. It's just, these things happen. It takes time. The inventory is not here, not because builders don't want to make money because it takes time. Yeah. And I think that is going to open up an opportunity for our buyers. But the market healed, you know, in that 2010, 11, 12 timeframe. So these projects that were ideas have worked their way through this approval process. And we're getting close now with a lot of them where they're just starting to do site work. They're starting to, yep. you know, put shovels in dirt and, and yep. make the, you know, structures are starting to form. So sure. it just, it takes time. And it, I agree that getting that new construction piece heated up a little bit more will really help the inventory. I think so. I mean, it, it can't hurt it. I think so. We need it bad. <laughs> um, so we're approaching the top of the hour uh, break here. So we're going to have to take about five minutes to freshen up the coffee and we will be back. We're going to transition the conversation here a little bit um talk a little bit about the industry the industry and what's going on with mortgage rates with competition in the banking world it's going to be an interesting conversation stick around we'll be back with right with more mortgage matters you're tuned into mortgage matters which airs every saturday from 9 a.m to 11 a.m your hosts dan and jason from central coast lending want you to join the conversation by calling 800-549-5832 now back to the show Staring out into the wild blue yonder So many thoughts to sit and ponder About love, love, and the lack of And this emptiness in my heart Too old to be wild and free still Too young to be over the hill shoot Trying to grow up but who knows where to start All right, here we are. It's the second. It's the second hour of Mortgage Matters. Mike Points and Dan Podesto here, your Central Coast Lending representatives for today's show. We're uh, excited to talk about anything and everything to do with real estate and finance. It's what we do. It's what we do eight to five. It's what we do five to eight. 
It's, uh, <laughs> you name it. <laughs> you we're name it. About we're it. doing it. Probably going to talk about it when I get off the air today. Guaranteed. Um, it's it's in the blood. Um, but you know, it's true. We love helping people. Love helping people plan for this big event in their lives, buying homes, uh, you know, finding, gosh, sorry, cord stuck on the chair, <laughs> finding financing solutions, you know, you know, lowering payments, getting uh, equity out of your home to do something else that's important to you, um, consolidating debt, anything to do with your home, we... Love helping people. I think as I think at Central Coast Lending, we take a uh, we take an added approach to the process too. I like explaining the process, right? So if you're a first time home buyer, you literally are like, "What's next? What's next? Yeah, what's next?" And in owning a home myself, purchasing a home, and dealing with refinances, etc., it's easy to just know what's next. I deal with it all the time, but we also take a. I think our processing team and our loan officers have a really good perspective on guiding people through the process. Even if you've owned a home and it's your first time selling a home and buying a home, that can be scary, right? Sure. Am I going to be without a home for a period of time? Or Well, right? so These much can go wrong. Up. You know, everybody's financial situation and employment situation and you know, every everything about people is unique and, and different. And it this whole home buying and selling and refinancing and financing process the they would it would be so easy if everybody had a salary and had you know 5 years on or more on the job and you know had and their had landlord ample cash reserves yeah. and you know it would be so easy we wouldn't there wouldn't need we wouldn't need us right you could automate everything and it would just you know go the way of the internet um, but the reality is that there are all these very unique situations on nearly every transaction. Mm-hmm. I mean, it seems like the cookie cutter situation is the rarity and the norm is, you know, I've got this issue in my credit. I've got this issue with a past home that I owned. I've got mm-hmm. this issue with my employment situation mm-hmm. and the way mortgage guidelines are there, you know, it's, it's black and white. And there's not a lot of room for gray, but we have to navigate through the gray of real life to help fit you into the black and white guidelines. And explain the narrative to the bank. Yeah, yeah. We're presenting, uh, you know, a, a report to the bank. It's it's like a, yep. a book report you do in school or something. Um, we're putting together this nice, clean narrative and presenting it to that that underwriter who's ultimately going to approve or deny the application. Yep. And we have to have a strong... Um, feeling not a feeling but we have to have we have to know yep. ahead of time before we even present it that it's got a strong likelihood of being approved because people are making offers at that point i think some of our competitors online do a good job of just saying answer this question and then you're approved for a loan and i think what happens in that process is that the gray doesn't exist you answer a question but you don't say oh but i've only been with in this industry for 13 months or I have $20,000 in my bank account, but I got it from my business because I'm self-employed, but those funds can't be used because my business wouldn't be able to operate with those funds. And so you go through an application, it says pre-approved, and then you get into a transaction and guess what? You need a human being that knows the gray mm-hmm. and can put it in the box. And that's what Central Coast Lending is. Yeah. there's. I mean, this week I, 
I'm intimately familiar with the transaction where there's a odd reporting on a credit report item with a past mortgage and it's causing problems with um, a borrower getting approved and we're dealing with another another um, a property that was in another state where they don't where the the foreclosure process is a completely different process than what it is in California. Mm -hmm. Um, In California, it's real easy to go look up public records and see when certain events occurred Mm -hmm. um, in a foreclosure. And we're dealing with the state of Illinois and it's, Mm. it's impossible to find information. We've been working for two plus weeks trying to get just a simple date on when a foreclosure occurred. Um, You know, it's just, it's a mess. So these are the kind of things where, it takes that human touch to be able to to get get a transaction done. And right. um, like I said, you know, this is just one example of the various things that are encountered frequently in the loan process. So, um, you know, not trying to be salesy here. Just I don't know. We got on a little tangent of we like to help people at Central Coast Lending. The home buying process isn't always um, a straightforward thing. The refinancing process isn't always straightforward. So that's why we're there to help. We're not there to sell you on anything. We're there to just help. You know, we we um, enjoy it. We only, yeah, we enjoy this business. We enjoy the you know the the transactions where you really see that you're making a difference in someone's life. <clears throat> and um, you know, it's we're only you know compensation is obviously part of what we do, um, but we're only compensated when we're successful. Mm-hmm. And and otherwise, the whole process from beginning until we're successful is is at no cost. It's in good faith that we're going to be able to help you accomplish your goals. Right. Um, Another thing that we do is we, we focus on the market. I mean, the reason we have this radio show is to help, but we're also microeconomists, macroeconomists. We like learning about this market, right, Dan? I mean, it helps us it, advise clients on, you know, how to act, when to act. Mm-hmm. Um, and so one of the things I wanted to talk about a little bit this second hour was... Uh, it's it's about what I think, I, I guess the core of it is I, I think in the conventional financing realm right now, there's rates, interest rates are artificially low. Um, and it might be kind of weird to hear that because we've seen rates rise over the last couple of months. Right. Um, but I believe there's there's a, a big battle going on in the banking industry for volume. Um, we've seen over the last year and a half, Refinance volume really has waned as rates have started to rise. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, people who owned homes and were financially capable took care of their refinances. They lowered their payments. They consolidated debt. They they did that stuff when rates were rock bottom. <clears throat> yeah, there's still some people who have high interest rates and can benefit from a refinance. Um, but or coming off of a credit. Sure, coming situation. off a credit situation where now they're eligible. Um, but for the most part, a lot of that refinancing activity took place a few years ago, and that part of the market has really slowed down. <clears throat> so when we're still faced with inventory shortages in the market, you know, we're basically now as an industry um, fighting over that purchase volume that really hasn't grown much. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and so what we're seeing is um, banks are are they've they've cut all profit out of their business just to maintain market share um and what i'm hearing through a couple of 
industry partners conversations I've had this week and and just rumblings throughout industry um, publications is that we're seeing the majority of banks not only operating at at no profit, they're operating at a loss right now mm. um, just to fight for volume. And to give you an example of that, you know, a lot of these mortgage banking institutions, a lot of them are the big banks you've heard of, the Wells Fargo's, the Chase's, the U.S. banks of the world. Uh, but then there's a lot of large um, publicly traded mortgage bank operations as well. And so as a publicly traded company, they're, they report earnings and they're, it's publicly available information. And so for the fourth quarter, the, the mortgage banking industry, um, in, in the mortgage banking industry, 76% of banks were operating at a loss mm. in the fourth quarter. That's three quarters of the mortgage banking industry operating at a loss. Um, one, of our, um, one of the banks that we sell a lot of our loans to, um, it's a Southeast-based bank, they... Three years ago, said the value of a mortgage to them on average was about five thousand dollars to the bottom line. Today, that same mortgage to them is worth about two hundred and seventy-five dollars. This is a bank that has taken a stance that they're not going to operate at a loss. Right? They'll they'll basically operate at break even. They'll you know, give up share. Right. The, they're willing to let others battle out for volume at a loss. They they have a strong depository side of their business. Right. So. They're comfortable not fighting for the mortgage volume. And there's a couple of banks that I know that have taken that approach where we'll, we're willing to operate at a break even to you know, keep our staff as busy as we can, mm-hmm. but we're not willing to take a loss to keep, keep it going. Mm-hmm. Um, but a lot of banks, obviously three quarters of mortgage banks are willing to operate at a loss. So they obviously cannot continue to do that forever. You know, at some point they need to make a profit. Um, And so. Well, yeah, let me just sprinkle in one thing. This is from Washington. You know, changes in the tax law led Fannie Mae to a $6.5 billion loss in last quarter. Which is such a break from what we've been hearing since really since the housing downturn when Fannie and Freddie were brought into conservatorship. Mm -hmm. You know, we absorbed the losses. But then as they started to, as the housing market started to recover, every. Every uh, quarter, we were here on the radio reporting the the millions and billions of dollars that were being paid back by Correct. Fannie and Freddie to the federal government. Correct. In fact, they they repaid all that they borrowed, and then were continuing to pay on top of that. And now we're hearing about a loss. Which Fannie is Mae kind reported of a net income of two point four billion in seventeen, down from twelve point three in sixteen. So it's, you know, at some point, this just isn't, obviously is not sustainable. And so in this conventional world where the lion's share of the volume is, um, you know, if these banks were to return to profitability, they would have to do so by raising rates or offer, you know, paying less for the, the rates we have currently and paying more for higher rates. So in order to maintain profit, we would have to see rates rise, um, at least the consumer rates rise. I'm not yeah. talking about the Fed level or that kind of thing. I'm talking about rates that you see when you, you know, go to the bank or come to our company or, you know, when you get bombarded on your sidebar of your computer with ads. 
Um, those are the rates I'm talking about. Those would have to rise for these uh, banks to start operating their mortgage business at a profit. Um, so there it goes back to your initial claim, right? Right. That I believe that conventional mortgage rates are artificially low right now based on a, some conversations I've had with these banking partners of ours. Um, they believe that this environment's going to sustain for about six more months, but towards the end of this year, um, they're, you know, they have a lot of economists inside. We don't have economists at uh, Central no. Coast Lending we advising are, us the on economists. the future. We just, we try to do it ourselves. Um, but we take all this information from our other larger banking partners that, mm-hmm. that give us that industry insight and give us their expertise. And they, they see, uh, you know, out about six months, they're being a, an, an industry, quote unquote, bloodbath that's going to occur when these banks you know, realize that they need to return to profitability yep. in order to maintain. And so in this bloodbath scenario, they're saying that they're going to see a, a lot of consolidation in the, in the, in the industry. Mm-hmm. Um, they're going to see some mortgage bank, uh, mor- mortgage bank companies, you know, go out altogether. They're going to see some get acquired, you know, go through that merger and acquisition process. Sure. Um, Which is know, all in the water in the air right now. Possibly see some loan officer compensation changes mm-hmm. um, to help restore profitability. Um, so there, it'll be interesting to see how this unfolds. You know, this may be more relevant for those of us in the industry than, than you out there on the street because, you know, well, I think it's a direct impact to consumers, though, right? They're the last to learn. They're the last to know. Yeah. They're like, whoa. Yeah. So a I think three quarters point increase is huge. How this impacts impacts the consumer is that even in a stable economy, you might see rates rise um, quickly mm-hmm. in a short period of time because banks all of a sudden turn and say, you know, we can't we can't do this anymore. Yep. We need to we need to we need to bring profitability back into the equation here. And right now when, you know, when one bank cuts their profits and, you know, becomes the market leader another bank says, well, we're not getting the volume. We need to, we need to go to their level as well. Well, when one starts to the other return way. to profitability, go the other way, they're all going to start to ease their way back to profitability. Yep. So, you know, even in a stable market, a stable economy, you could see, an overnight change or a, you know, a rapid change over a couple week period of time of, of rates going up a quarter of a point, a half a point mm-hmm. in that conventional market. I don't believe that we're seeing the same, you know, the same margin compression in the government mortgage side. I think FHA, VA, USDA loans, there's, there's always been more, more profit in yep. those loans. Sure. Um, but we've seen the spread between the FHA rate and the conventional rate really tighten up here. 100%. Um, and so what it shows me is that really that margin compression, the the willingness to take losses is on that conventional side where the majority of the market is. And so that's the area that has me, that I'm most focused on going forward. Well, that's the majority. That's the bell-shaped curve portion of the market, right? I would Absolutely. say 70 to 80% of the market's conventional financing because of the ramifications that come with government loans, you know, the mortgage insurance fees, the uh, life of loan mortgage insurance. Mm -hmm. Sometimes FHA is the way to go, right? We know that. But now when I set up an FHA transaction right next to a conventional one, let's say it's 10% down or 5% down, 
the FHA loan is only a quarter point less in rate and I really can't give my borrower any type of lender credit at that point where before I could have a four and a quarter interest rate that was conventional. I could offer the borrower a 3.875 FHA rate and I could probably pay for, if not all, most of their closing costs as a lender Mm -hmm. because I was getting so much extra commission, if you will, or, or cash from the bank to close a deal at that price. And so we were able to help people a bit more just psychologically too, it's nice to see a rate that's just below four when you're looking at another rate that's at four and a quarter. Mm-hmm. Now they're, they're like you said, Dan, so tight. And what I do think is coming up next is now it's going to be, well, how much is that going to correct where the conventional loan goes a quarter point higher, but the FHA stays the same. So yeah, we that's push people back into FHA again. I think as a growing period, you know, it's, it's not that FHA cures all problems, but it is just more, shall it's I say, lenient. affordable. You know, yeah. it is more lenient for the borrower. It's a little bit more palatable when you get your first house too. It's it's a good. It should be a good. If your house is a five hundred thousand dollar purchase, it should be a good eighty five to one hundred and twenty dollars less a month. You know, in comparison, and that that's just getting into monthly payment options, but it's. It's going to be interesting over the next six months as we stay in this economy, you know, and see where these government rates start moving in in relationship to um, conventional rates. I I think that usually we'll see more like a a half a point to a three quarter point difference between an FHA thirty year loan and a conventional thirty year loan. Right. And today we're seeing about a quarter point difference. Only. only. And yeah. so because on that conventional side there's such the fight for volume right now, that's where I worry that overnight we could see that relationship between the FHA and conventional loans widen out to its norms. Right. And without any anything significant happening in the market. So I think it's an excellent way to frame this argument. You know, it really has been since I've been in the industry for four years a much bigger gap than it's ever than it mm-hmm. is right now. And that yeah, and that feeds to what you're saying. So, yeah, it'll be interesting to to watch this. So, you know, in, although rates are rising right now, I think again, the point here is is even still, I I think there's there's an opportunity right now for conventional financing that um it's artificially low. There the margins are there is no profit margin for the end buyer of these mortgages. They're buying stuff at a loss to try to maintain market share, to try to establish dominance, hoping that the other bank breaks first and that they back off and then um, sure. you know, they can maybe have an acquisition opportunity. So, And it begs the question, too. I mean, here we are, 2018, right? The capital cushion from our government was supposed to be gone for Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac, it's still around. I mean, it's not even at the top of, of Trump's list of things to, to check off. But it sounded like that Fannie-Freddie conservatorship issue was going to be a prominent issue here this year. Um, you know, possibly figuring out a new, a new form, taking it away from the conservatorship. Right, but these banks are obviously discussing all this information, right? It's all it's not like we know this and no one else does. It's going to be interesting how the government steps in and says, "All right, we need to keep these rates a bit lower. Like how do we how do we help you with this process?" I don't think that do I think the conservatorship needs to be released? 
Probably, yeah. But I think it's going to be interesting to see how the government plays into what could happen if the market takes a large adjustment. Let's take a quick break and we'll transition this conversation here a little bit, maybe go more of that direction and um, let our sponsors have a moment. That's right. Let's do that. All right. Um, We're going to take a quick break. We'll be back with more Mortgage Matters. To ask a question or make a comment, call 543-8830 or 800-549-5832. Mortgage Matters on KVEC News Talk 920. We'll be back after these messages from our sponsors. For those of us who live here on the Central Coast, we know this is a unique place to have a home. And for over 30 years, Patterson Realty has been a vital part of San Luis Obispo County. Patterson professionals have led the way in real estate by adapting to new market conditions to make sales happen. What they offer is the quality of their people, agents working just for you. Get the experts at Patterson Realty on your side. Experience the Patterson difference. Call 544-8662 or online at pattersonrealty.com. Through seven presidential administrations, bull and bear markets, and unprecedented change, Blakesley and Blakesley has been here helping residents of the Central Coast reach their financial goals. So if you need retirement advice beyond Social Security, want to roll over an old 401k, or simply seek guidance through an important financial decision, visit Blakesley and Blakesley in San Luis Obispo, Paso Robles, and Santa Maria. Blakesley and Blakesley, for the service you deserve and the advice you trust. Member FINRA and SIPC. With trade wars escalating, the market is seeing some serious volatility. Are you nervous? With banks not paying anything on their CDs, where can you put short-term funds for decent growth? Look no further than Century Financial Consultants. We have a new five-year guarantee product paying 3.6%. This product is tax-deferred unlike a traditional CD, and your rates won't change like an indexed annuity. You're guaranteed. Contact Matt at Century Financial Consultants today at 805-324-7914. That's 324-7914. Hi, this is Jason Grody of Central Coast Lending. There's a common myth that home buyers need to save a 20% down payment to buy a home. The fact is, we offer numerous zero-down and low-down payment loan programs. Before you meet with a realtor, step one is to get pre-approved. Just call 543 Central Coast Lending is an equal housing lender. California BRE number 018-396-08. California DBO number 605-4783. NMLS number 328358. We're the mortgage experts on the Central Coast. Central Coast Lending. You're listening to Mortgage Matters on KVEC News Talk 920. If you missed any part of the show, log on to centralcoastlending.com for archived shows and more. Now, back to your hosts, Dan and Jason from Central Coast Lending.
<laughs> oh man, just want to go back. Stays in Mexico. Buddy. All right, here we are. We're back. <laughs> we're we're really back. Yeah. <laughs> we're back now. Maybe in body, but not in mind. Yeah. <laughs> Days in Mexico. Mexico. Right. <laughs> so beautiful. I love, I love bringing back my high school Spanish too. Oh yeah, you did a good job. I thought. Right. It takes a day to warm up, and then yeah, and then I even start talking to my friends in Spanish. When you're yeah, <laughs> I remember that part. I can. Hang, I can. After a few tequilas. Oh yeah, definitely. <laughs> definitely. definitely happens a little easier. Each a little, <laughs> little sun, little yeah. tequila Just gets right into the synapses, yeah. and then <laughs> doesn't matter who you are. And the tequila we'll starts do, talking I will for speak you. To you in Spanish. Yeah. <laughs> maybe we'll ask. Maybe we'll play straight tequila night after the next um, right. Right. Yeah. right. We're getting close. <laughs> We're getting close to the end of the show. Thirty minutes left. Um, I might have injected a little bit of my personal opinion there but i do think right before the break i was talking about um you know just the government's intervention part of all this um i think there's there's two important matters that we'll have to see how they unfold this year with the trump administration but you know the obama administration's approach was to just keep the federal conservatorship and drain them of capital right there's a payback association between fannie mae and the government almost like a dividend or royalty. If yeah. You know. Yeah. I mean, like it, a cost of capital because we gave you a bunch of money. It well, might be to appease of... the American people, but it's also a business model where the government gets some money from this. Yeah. There was a bailout, big, obviously, right. like with so many other industries, the auto right. industry, et cetera. Right. Um, so there was a bailout with Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac. And part of that bailout entailed a takeover, a government takeover um, in, injected, lots of money to help keep them afloat. And then as the entire economy and housing market rebounded um, and the mortgage quality was restored, um, profitability was restored to that whole mortgage industry. Sure. And so Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac became profitable again and repaid that bailout money as other industries did as well. Yep. Um, so then it so was worked, left, I guess. So yeah, so the bailout monies are repaid, yet we have this legacy of the recession that Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac are in conservatorship. And so it's been kind of a lingering issue here now, um, a hangover from the previous administration to the mm-hmm. new administration of, okay, now what do we want to do with them? Privatization? Do we want to restore them to their yeah private yet kind of government-backed um, situation that they were before? Do we want to, you know, make them a public utility type of situation? Mm. What do we want to do? Mm-hmm. And so that's now um, becoming a more prominent issue. I, I know there's other priorities with the administration today, but I, I believe that this is a year that that issue was supposed to be tackled. So mm-hmm. we're anxiously awaiting how Fannie and Fannie and Freddie are going to be dealt with and what that could mean for our industry and for interest rates, mm-hmm. you know, going w- one direction versus another when, when thinking of, you know, a couple options like private back to privatization versus 
a utility type of situation, right? You know that could impact interest rates, right? And and how interest rates are are derived. So that's that's um, kind of where we were going a little bit with that past with that conversation from the previous segment. Yeah, um, but it's all up in the air, and we just really don't know. I mean, we all have our opinions or our desires. Um, I feel like as long as we stay with today's standards of guidelines, you know, where we have a, a, a strong desire to, um, to, to prove a borrower's ability to repay. And sure. If you, if a bank is going to offer a, a mortgage product that is deemed risky, mm-hmm. that they have to maintain a financial stake. I like that a lot because it kind of limits the number of loans they can make that are risky mm-hmm. and it keeps them with that, that skin in the game. Mm-hmm. So um, if, if we maintain this environment, um, which also is up in the air as we talk about unwinding, you know, Correct, deregulating, uh, unwinding parts of Dodd-Frank or all of Dodd-Frank, who knows, um, you know, that could change. But as long as we're in this more, I think there's some good things that came out of the financial regulation because it did get sure. a t- little too loose there. And and I think today's mortgage market is very stable. I think the quality of loans, I've said this since since the rules were changed that the quality of loans today are really great. They're they're um these are strong loans. You know, you have fixed rates, um borrowers documenting ability to repay mm-hmm. with very clear guidelines have to have um, reserves if they have rental properties or yeah, additional properties. Exactly. It's frustrating gonna... for people. We still get people coming into yeah. our office, calling in, talking about, you know, what's out there for the self-employed person. Well, there's the same mortgage products are out there for the self-employed person as for the right. the the right. employee person, but you just have to report your income. Your relationship you have with to be the IRS. real about it. Um, well, it's not so much it I understand that. It's not so much that it's not that they're not real. I think in many other areas of their discussion, and and I know you're not calling them unreal, Dan. I'm just adding to this conversation that we have every week. Their accountants may show them ways to properly offset income. Okay, we have to take whatever they file to our underwriter as income. Right. You know, sure. If you've been in business for five years, w- there's a very good chance we could use one year of tax returns, but most of the time we set up your tax returns averaging the last two years. Okay. We're at a very peculiar time of year right now. You could file 2017 and show that you had a great year and we'd still have to use 16's net income to weigh that. And I, it, it just gets frustrating to people that just aren't around this a lot. You know, well, the guy that has a W-2 just comes in and says, here's my pay stub. And then we take gross wages. Right. We don't remove health insurance or taxes or anything. Stated income came about for the self-employed person that, you know, showed $20,000 of profit on their Schedule C. But really, they made a nice handsome living, you know, probably made the equivalent of a eighty dollars to $100,000 a year salary. Right. Right. right? But... But on paper, they showed twenty thousand dollars, right. and so they paid a lot less in taxes, and you know, felt good about that. Yeah, and, but that got abused, and that got abused, and it became hard for you know, us in the mortgage world to go. You know, what's real here? You mm-hmm. know, is the stated income real? Because the stated income then became this this area where you could just say anything. Sure. Oh well, you know, what's normal for my industry is you know, 
$80,000 a year. So that's what I'm going to report as my stated income. Well, maybe this particular guy in this industry isn't good at what he does. Or he's brand new. Or he's brand new and doesn't have that clientele built up. And they're still in that ramp up phase of their business. And, And so the industry norm isn't applicable to this person. But you know, how do we know that in the underwriting world? So right. so anyways, it did get abused and it became this playground to do anything and everything to get someone approved and it, it just got totally abused. So now the the world is that we operate off what you report to the IRS. And, you know, to give further this example, I'm, you know, we're working with a, a gentleman who does um, computer work mm-hmm. with people and, you know, we're from year to year, he, you know, if he's not trying to do a mortgage or qualify for, you know, lines of credit or whatever, you know, he's reporting as little income as possible. Sure. You know, the shows like twenty, thirty thousand dollars in profit on his Schedule C. But in reality, he has gross receipts in excess of, you know, 150, close to two hundred thousand dollars, and then just writes that stuff off. I mean, yeah. this is the real world. I'm not but, trying to no, get I, anyone in trouble, but the real it's not weird. It's just norm, not even it's what happens. It's a lack of sit down and education. I mean, you can't, you don't know when you're going to be ready to buy something. I think I understand that paying taxes frustrates you. Right. I understand that. Everyone wants to pay less in taxes. But I also <laughs> think that if you want a, a chip in a chair at the game, you have to abide by these rules. If you want access to funding, and that's not just real estate funding. That's funding all the way up through, you know, new equipment funding. You want to buy a building one day for your business funding. You've got to show tax returns that show that you can cover the debt service with your income. Now, you know, this is if you want to play in the Fannie Mae, Freddie Mac, FHA world of lending, where you get the best interest rates. You get the four, four and a quarter, four and a half percent interest rates Correct. on a 30 year fixed loan. There are products today for people who are like, you know, I only show this amount of profit on my Schedule C or my, you know, corporate tax return. But if you look at my bank statements, you'll see the cash flow. You'll see how much revenue I have coming in and, you know, where these expenditures are going out. But you could see the level of activity of my business is far greater than what the bottom line profit shows that I... I do for tax purposes and um, we establish income in that realm as well. So there is, there are those programs, but you're not going to be getting the four and four and a half, you know, low 4% interest rates. You're going to be looking at an adjustable rate loan um, that's in the five and a half, six and a half, seven and a half percent interest rate range. Um, But it's doable for you. Yep. So if that's the route, if you want to stay in that self-employment realm where you're minimizing your tax liability, um, then it, you just have to know what the trade-off is when you need to go to buy a home or refinance a home. You're going to be in a different loan program altogether. You're going to be in one of those programs that's been deemed a riskier loan where the bank has to maintain a stake in the loan for the life of the loan. Yep. Um, and and in order to do so, they need to charge a higher rate of interest. And there's different loan to value options, so different right. down payment options. And so you're not going to get the three and a half percent down yeah. or the five percent down. And it's just it's a different world of financing, but it's there. 
Yep. And and it's available. We so, offer that if you want it. Yeah. We've we've done several of them recently and it, it makes sense for people um who who need that type of financing. So yep. it's just you gotta understand the trade offs. Uh, you know, and, and so this is something that we will help people with is help them understand the trade-offs. And then it's up to that person to make the decision on working with their CPA and how to, how to, um, you know, put their tax return together. Sure. But, you know, all we can do is share the rules. So, you know, back to the point is that I feel like today's environment is a good, profitable, safe environment for Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac to operate. Freddie Mac reported in the end of last year that 98% of their 30-year fixed mortgages are performing. Oh, yeah. 98. I'm, yeah. You know and what there's that always does? some level of delinquency. You know, sure. People have job losses. People have life events that change their ability to repay. Or like mom passes away and the kids just don't get it done in time. Right. That's in the population so of delinquent. Even in the best of economic times, there's always about a 2% delinquency rate. That's so, darn near perfect. Right. That is perfect. That's terrific. So what you're reporting to me is, is we're talking that we're back to um, high quality mortgage performance and mortgage guidelines in mm-hmm. this industry. And so, um, you know, to put Fannie and Freddie back to a privatized um, system makes sense to me. As um, long as we don't give up some of these principles of right. how we fund. We can't we can't get back to the the dumbed down guidelines that Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac are participating in. Now, if banks want to take that additional risk sure. and maintain that financial stake and do those things, I think, uh, yeah, go for it. That's your prerogative. Uh, yeah, that's your prerogative to operate in that space and you know the risks. And, and again, the rates are going to reflect that additional risk. Right. It's just like Goldman Sachs has emerging market funds. They don't know exactly what's going to happen. There's a higher yield, right? Banks are going to get a higher interest for higher risk. Exactly. But when they start tanking, <clears throat> it shouldn't affect, you know, Fannie Mae or Freddie Mac, because I don't want the government to come back and do this again. That's my opinion. Right. Oh, I think most Americans would share that opinion. You know, that it felt, it didn't feel good to know that, you know, on the taxpayer dime, we're bailing out these multinational, you know, multi-billion dollar We do have a deficit. We do have a deficit. <laughs> right. <laughs> so. But that's what's interesting about the business piece of it all, right? Like, what if we kept... Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac tied to the government with this like position of saying, Hey, when the cycle goes the other way, we'll help bail you out. But in the meantime, you owe us a check every first of the month. You know, that doesn't sound like a bad option either. I feel like there's an, you know, one of the scary things that occurred leading up to the recession was that the, the government really didn't have a close eye yet on what was going on in the industry. Yet they, it was a too big to fail situation and they were forced to intervene to prevent a larger collapse from happening. Right. So if that's the scale, which it seems that it is, I mean, housing is a huge business, huge. I mean, what last numbers, I think there's like $10 trillion of mortgages out there in the United States. That's crazy. That's, it's a crazy amount of, of mortgages out there and it's, if there's a big problem, it's systemic in nature. And so I think there's always going to be that inherent government 
backing to it. So maybe it does make sense to. That's the thing. It's a good discussion. I them. earlier in the month of March, there was a little bit of bad news going around about Freddie and Fannie and how they were sharing their records. Some some shareholders were getting pretty perturbed about the transparency of all that. But I think that's just. Who knows? I think when you stay, when you keep the government close, you can, you know, there's oversight, right? That's the word the government likes. We're not really intervening. We're just going to oversee. Sure. I'm just going to peek over this, this fence here and make sure you're doing what you say you're doing. Cash flow is cash flow, and I think it, it might work out for the American people. That's all I'm saying. Oh, I think at the end of the day and to, you know... With the quality, when it's high, it's a profitable, profitable industry, and it could be a good thing. It could be a mm-hmm. revenue source. Yeah. So it's um, it'll be interesting to see how this unfolds, where it goes, um, and obviously we'll continue to report on that and report how it's going to affect you know the end consumer on interest rates, their ability to finance. I think Fannie and Freddie are a critical part of the mortgage industry. They create the fixed rate mortgage market. Mm-hmm. Um, without mm-hmm. them we'd all be buying homes with adjustable rate mortgages. It's correct. Absolutely correct. The portfolio banks can't do it any other way. It's not, it doesn't fit do their it model. It doesn't, they don't service. Yeah. Right. It's just, well, it's not really a service. It's issue. about, it's about matching the duration of mortgages to deposits and deposits are fluid. Deposits come in, they go out, yep. you know, that's how they work. So, um, Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac create that liquidity for banks to be able to offer, the fixed rate, long-term fixed rate mortgages. Um, and without that liquidity source, they just have to match duration of mortgages to deposits, which are very short term, three to five years in nature. So that's it's fascinating. That's, um, you know, it'll, it, it's going to be something that we're obviously going to keep a close eye on and, and watch that unfold. Hopefully this year. Yeah, it's a lot of activity around that this year, just because of the timeline we have. Um, we should probably take one last commercial break before we end the show. So please stick around. We'll be right back with more Mortgage Matters. Mortgage Matters with host Dan and Jason will be right back. Join the conversation by calling 543-8830 or 800-549-5832. Through seven presidential administrations, bull and bear markets, and unprecedented change, Blakesley and Blakesley has been here helping residents of the Central Coast reach their financial goals. So if you need retirement advice beyond Social Security, want to roll over an old 401k, or simply seek guidance through an important financial decision, visit Blakesley and Blakesley in San Luis Obispo, Paso Robles, and Santa Maria. Blakesley and Blakesley, for the service you deserve and the advice you trust. Member FINRA and SIPC. Do you have enough money saved for retirement? How much is enough? Let's put things in perspective. It's estimated that you'll need roughly $250,000 in retirement just for medical expenses. So think about that number again. If you need some help, talk to Century Financial Consultants today and create a complimentary financial master plan that will show you exactly how long your money will last and give you peace of mind. Give Century Financial Consultants a call today at 324-7914. That's 324-7914. For those of us who live here on the Central Coast, we know this is a unique place to have a home. And for over 30 years, Patterson Realty has been a vital part of San Luis Obispo County. Patterson professionals have led the way in real estate by adapting to new market conditions to make sales happen. What they offer is the quality of their people, agents working just for you. Get the experts at Patterson Realty on your side. Experience the Patterson difference. Call 544-8662 or online at pattersonrealty.com. 
Hi, this is Jason Grody of Central Coast Lending. There's nothing like the euphoric feeling you get when you find the perfect home. The last thing you want is the embarrassment of discovering you don't qualify. It can actually cost you your deposit. Before you meet with a realtor, step one is to get pre-approved. Just call 543 Central Coast Lending is an equal housing lender. California BRA number 018-39608. DBO number 6054783. MLS number 328358. We're the mortgage expert. On the Central Coast. Central Coast Lending. Welcome back. You're listening to Mortgage Matters with hosts Dan and Jason from Central Coast Lending. If you want to join the conversation, call the show at 543-8830 or 800-549-5832. Now, here's Dan and Jason. She comes here a lot. She just loves to hear the music and dance. K13 is her favorite song. If you play it, you might have a chance. Tonight she's only sipping white wine. She's friendly and fun, loving most of the time. But don't ask her on a straight to keep the night. You'll start thinking uh. about him, and she's ready to fight. Sneak up on you, right? Oh, yeah. <laughs> Next thing you know, you're talking to the worm. That's right. <laughs> and your and your Spanish always sounds better when you're on tequila. It does. I mean, at you least get a to lot you. More confident. At least to you. <laughs> All right, here we are. Last couple minutes here on Mortgage Matters. It's hard to dive into too many... Big, to- big topics, but you know, try to right. try to transition here and thought we'd run through a quick shit. scenario from the week of a new borrower we got. Yeah, um, and this is Always happening. Fun. Yeah, this is happening because a lot of people are retiring that owned a business, and when you own a business, there's many different ways to es- get out of the business. You know, you can sell your position. Um, many times, you're lucky enough to get a big firm that buys it all one check. Right. But I think there's strategy to everything. Right, Dan. So many times I see people selling their business and taking payments over a period of time. Like they'll say, hey, look, I'll kind of bank this finance for you. Purchase it from me. Give me I'm going to sell it to you for 800 K. Give me 250,000 today. And then over the next four years, pay me these sums of money, Mm -hmm. maybe quarterly because I don't need it monthly. Um, And our borrower that we are representing um, owned a dairy farm and um, owned it over in the Central Valley, owned it for years. And I got a whole list of cool information about owning a dairy farm, which I won't add to the show, <laughs> but I never knew about this stuff. Every business has their own little nuances, you know. Um, this gentleman sold his farm and he did just that. He's financing, if you will, the full purchase of the farm, the cows, the livestock, the housing on it, the real estate. So he's taking leases back on the real estate until the property can be bought in full through financing. Um, so he's renting the property because he owned that personally, but the business itself, he's getting large sums of money over the course of the next four years. So one of our competitors here in town originally got the loan. He banks with the company. He banks with this bank and he went in and met their personal bankers. Sure, we'll give you a loan. Eventually what happened is they couldn't really make sense of that income. What we're allowed to do when there's a stream of payments over more than 36 months via a contract 
is we can work that income and divide it annually into your loan application. I have to show that at the close of escrow, this money's guaranteed to come to you over the next 36 months. I believe that's a period that the banks just feel is like the most riskiest time. I don't know where the 36 months came from. Dan, if you have any input there, please I, I don't know where that number came from either, but that's the general guideline in any income source in in the the conventional and government mortgage world is a two-year history and a three-year likelihood of continuance. Right. So, you know, that applies to um, alimony or child support income, mm-hmm. uh, note income, mm-hmm. uh, you know, business sale income. Installment, purchase so agreement, I, I sale income. It, the only thing I can think is that you know it gives that um, that applicant a period of time for which to plan replacement mm-hmm. of that income. Okay, how will they be able to replace that income? You know, the assumption is that they need it. You know, they need some kind of income to continue maintaining their lifestyle, right? And that three years is is a enough of a buffer for them to be able to replace that income, right. figure out the plan that, that they're comfortable with that number. Yeah. Origi- That's all I can think. Well, yeah. And so there's, there's a box that we have to put that income in, right? Like we talked about at the beginning of the show, we need to explain the narrative. So this other bank in town just didn't know how to deal with that. They thought it was not income. They figured it was just assets coming in over the period of time. Mm. Well, without that income, this gentleman has a small social security He has um, the rents, which we obviously get to use because those are on the tax return from the property. And then he had a house that he owns free and clear but has property tax on and insurance. And he he doesn't have a lot of income. So what happened, they told him, look, your debt-to-income ratio is not good enough for you to buy this second home. Hmm. He wants to buy a second home here on the coast so that his kids can come over and visit. Um, He's probably going to rent it out for the next two years. Um, so what we did is we sat down with him, give him full counsel and I established, finally I procured this contract and I read it through and through cause I was worried about the dates. I need to show 36 months of continuance. We're at like 40 months of continuance after we close. So really I don't need social security anymore. I don't need the rents. The income on this is so, ex- so extreme that, I mean, his debt to income ratio is now like a 12. Hmm. So we don't even need a lease on this property that he's about to buy as a rental, I can make him pay for all of it. So his transaction just went from a nightmare to basically 21 days. Yeah. We're talking to this uh, agent yesterday and they're ecstatic because they thought they were going to lose a deal. But now we just need to get all the pieces together and get an appraisal done on the property here in Pismo Beach. Very nice. Yeah. That is... This is exactly what I'm talking about with the mortgage industry. You know, There's these, so many nuances to every... Every borrower, every applicant is different, unique. There's very, very few where it's just the cookie cutter scenario. Right. The banker, it wasn't his, his or her fault. They just didn't, they didn't know this one style of establishing income. Well, and different banks have different appetites too. Correct. Some banks may have an overlay to that three-year guideline of income continuance. Um, you know, it's just... This is where our model at Central Coast Lending is a little bit different. We have so many different investors that we end up selling loans to that we can accommodate nearly every situation. Um, You know, we have all the mortgage products, whether it's conventional, FHA, VA, USDA, jumbo, um, alternative financing, construction financing, all those different products. We have banks that interpret the guidelines differently that we can sell any of our loans to. So it just helps us accommodate 
any and all situations that arise. And if, if we can't do it, then it's, it, there's a high likelihood it just can't be done. Yep. Um, so that's, that's what we want to do. Our, our goal at Central Coast Lending is to help everyone that's interested in residential um, real estate. Yeah, like come make a relationship with us as your banker and we can do everything. Yeah. So, um, you know, if you'd like to get that process started, give us a call at our office, 805-543-LOAN. That's 543-5626. It rings all of our offices. We've got four offices in the county. We've got an office in Ventura. We've got an office in Merced. Um, and otherwise, check us out on the web, centralcoastlending.com. We've got our online loan application, as well as a lot of great information to help you know, keep you abreast of what's going on in the mortgage and real estate industries. Thanks for listening this week. We'll be back next week with another live edition of Mortgage Matters. Have a great weekend. Happy Easter.